And listen, when the church is removed, disaster will come upon the earth. Think about it. You're on an airplane and you're a lost man. And both your pilots happen to be born-again Christians. And all of a sudden, that door to that airplane, which is locked that no one can get into, is sealed up and both pilots are gone. What's going to happen to that plane? It's going to be disaster. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today, we begin a look at the mark of the beast, that tattoo on the hand or forehead that the book of Revelation tells us one day everyone in the world will adopt if they want to be able to buy and sell goods. We're in Revelation 13, verses 16 to 18, but as we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he shows from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 how people will know when the day of the Lord, the time following the rapture, is upon the earth. I believe we're in the shadows of the day of the Lord. Things are getting darker and darker, but when the rapture takes place, evil like we've never seen it, is going to unfold upon the earth. The restrainer that Paul speaks of in this chapter, the Spirit of God will be removed, and hell will have a holiday. But then Jesus will come back, the second coming, and it will get as bright as day again for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, it will get dark again. And we'll see why when we come to Revelation chapter 20. So Paul, when he describes the day of the Lord, like the Old Testament prophets, there's some very beautiful, magnificent parts to it, and then there's some very dark parts to it. The magnificent parts are what we call the kingdom reign of the Messiah, where Jesus, Revelation 20, will literally rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. But the dark side of it are things like the great tribulation. So there's both pictures given in the Bible. So it begins after the church is taken out and it lasts all the way through the tribulation, all the way through the thousand year reign of the Messiah. And so we've been studying some of the dark days here in Revelation beginning in chapter six when we studied the, the seal, the trumpet, and then we will study the bold judgments. Look at verse three. Let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. That's number one. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's the Antichrist. That's number two, the son of destruction, as he's also called, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's number three. How do you know that you're not in the tribulation period, that the day of the Lord has not happened yet? Because these three events, Paul said, has not happened. Now look again at verse three. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. Now you see those words, it will not come. They are different in the typeset, aren't they? They are italicized. And unlike in modern English, where we italicize words for emphasis, beginning way back with the Bishop's Bible, they began to italicize words in the Bible when they translated from the original language into the receptor tongue, in that case, English. And so sometimes, if you've worked with language and translation, you know that it's a little awkward to go from one language to another without adding a few words, because people, especially Greeks, think very differently than we do. 
They will sometimes have a word, and in that word, they contain a lot of thoughts. And if you don't know that, then it might not make sense to you. So the translators will sometimes add words that are either implied or needed in order to smooth it out and make it good English grammar. But here, of course, it's implied in the Greek. It will not come, but I think it's helpful because it forces you to ask a question. What does he mean when he says, it will not come? Well, linguistically, as again is implied by the Greek New Testament, it meaning the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the man of lawlessness is revealed, and the Antichrist goes into the temple and displays himself to be God. And listen, when the church is removed, disaster will come upon the earth. Think about it. You're on an airplane, and you're a lost man. And both your pilots happen to be born-again Christians. And all of a sudden, that door to that airplane, which is locked that no one can get into, is sealed up, and both pilots are gone. What's going to happen to that plane? It's going to be disaster. People driving the cars, all of a sudden, the born-again Christians behind the wheel are gone. Some born-again Christians performing a surgery, and all of a sudden, that open-heart surgery is left open with no one to do anything. And so it's going to be a terrible day. But no worries, 88.7 through Rick Fortune will be giving you constant updates, all right? <laughs> I said you. The joke was on you, too. Anyway, um, while they are saying peace and safety, suddenly destruction will come upon them. Now, please understand, you cannot calculate the date of the second coming any more than you can calculate the date of the rapture. And many foolish people have done it. They've gone against the clear teaching of Scripture. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36? But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, it may seem strange to you that the Lord Jesus, who said He was equal with the Father, I and the Father are one, did not know something that the omniscient God knew. And by the way, the JWs and the Mormons and other cults will use this to say that he's not really God in human flesh, that he's only a man. But we read and we sang in the last hymn that Matt gave us how he emptied himself. It's called the kenosis. When the Bible says he emptied himself and took on our humanity, he does not, it does not teach he emptied himself or divested himself of his deity. That's impossible. God is eternal. But he laid aside the exercise of his divine attributes, and he lived in humility and independence upon God the Holy Spirit in order to perform everything that he needed to know. But I can tell you now in his glorified body, there are no secrets amongst the triune God. But Jesus makes it very clear that you cannot calculate the exact day. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm looking at these charts that you have, Pastor, and it's seven years. It seems to me right at the end of the seven years, the second coming, well, you know, they're not drawn to scale precisely. I'm trying to give you the big picture. Number one, I've told you many times that between the rapture and the signing of the covenant that begins that seven-year period, there is a short period of time, hours, weeks, days, we don't know for sure. But then the covenant is signed, and then the seven-year period kicks off. You say, well, then once the covenant is signed, assuming you know precisely when that is, 
then we ought to be able to calculate exactly seven years. No. Listen carefully to what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse. He made this plain statement. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, then he comes, how immediate? Is it two days or three days or we don't know how immediate. And so if you remember when we studied Daniel chapter 12, Daniel speaks of this 1290-day period that we've been reading in Daniel and in the Revelation, but he also spoke of this period of 1335 days. The point is, however God does it, no one is going to be able to pinpoint the exact day or hour. So when that foolish man wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Come in 1988, and he made $3 million on it because Christians gobble it up. If they just knew one verse of Scripture, they would have known it was a worthless book, and they shouldn't have lined that man's pocket. Lay that aside. While we do not know the precise day, the Bible says we can know the seasons. Paul said this, now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. And then he goes on to describe the return of Jesus from heaven. And so while we are forbidden to set dates, we do know the season. Now, nothing as we've seen prophetically has ever needed to be, take place for Jesus to come and catch up the church. It's not a prophecy-driven event, but the second coming is. But when you see the atmosphere and the times and the epics that God said would be true at the end of time for the second coming, then you know the rapture that precedes it is all that much closer. So the Bible teaches potentially before and definitely after the rapture, there will be a departure. There is going to be an apostasy. And if you will notice, it's articular in 2 Thessalonians 2. He speaks of the apostasy. Now, we've always had apostasy. The word apostasy means to fall away. But there's coming a day where there is the apostasy. And I believe that the stage is being set for that even in our day. I read just uh, last week of um, a Harris poll that was done, but it's very similar to the Gallup, the Bonner, also the Pew Research in the Harvard, Hartford Institute of Religion. So when you have five polls all coming together and they're almost identical, then there's probably some justification to it. They said in 1978, 45% of the American population, which was a big decline from where it was, 48% of the population, or 45% of the population in 1978 went to church on a weekly basis. It's kind of interesting. Now, uh, today, they say 20% of the American population go to church on a weekly basis. Furthermore, somewhere between four and 7,000 churches are scheduled to close this year, just this year alone and this year. Last year, 5,200 churches shut their doors. There's constant articles in the newspapers and online of what these church houses are being changed into. 78% of the churches in the last five years have not added a single new member to their church. You see, and most people who don't even attend church on Sunday now, they, they don't think they're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Oh, it's no big deal. It's my day. You know, after all, I work six days hard. Off. Sunday's my day off. God said you're supposed to work in six days and rest in one. 
Now, I don't believe for a moment that the Ten Commandments don't all apply today. Now, I think the application has changed, and so honor your father and mother that it might be well with you and that you might live long in the land of Israel. Now, he says, upon the earth, and now we worship on the first day of the week instead of the seventh day of the week. But listen, all Ten Commandments are binding, but not to most people, not anymore in America. It's pure apathy. And if it wasn't convenient, even for some of our members to come today, they went off and they did something else because of apathy. Add to that the theology of the day and the uh, sin that is becoming so widespread today. If you call someone today a sinner, if you say what God says about a certain lifestyle, you're viewed as judgmental and intolerant. And so the sin today is not to commit the sin. The sin today is to call the sin a sin. That's where we've digressed to. And so people are no longer sinful. They're, 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 they're sick. They're no longer wicked. They're just weak, and they have little faults, and we've become very, very desensitized to what God is saying, and to talk today about that God is going to return, and that He's going to literally judge the world, and that some people will spend an eternity in heaven, and others an eternity in hell. Oh, that's way beyond what you should talk about, Pastor. But Jesus warned that His return would be like the days of Noah, days of moral permissiveness, and like the days of Lot, days of moral perversion. Let no one in any way deceive you. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And so, because so many people are deficient of sound theology, the complexion of evangelical churches, those churches that have the gospel, is changing rapidly. And it's setting the stage for the coming apostasy. Notice verse 4, because the Antichrist is the one who opposes himself and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, that rebuilt temple. It will be rebuilt, and it will be done at least by the middle of the tribulation period, and he will display himself as being God. Now, when that event takes place, this is what Jesus calls it. Listen, Matthew 24, 15. When you see the abomination of desolation, that's what Paul's talking about. When the Antichrist goes into the temple and he says, I'm God. When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, that's the temple, let the reader understand. Look out because all hell's going to break loose. And we saw that Jesus' sermon there on the Mount of Olives perfectly parallels Revelation 6 through 19. And so we saw in those first uh, seal judgments that came, it was a perfect parallel between the birth pangs of Matthew chapter 24, the wars and the famines and the natural disasters that are going to happen after the church is removed. And then he describes an event that he marks as the midpoint of this seven-year period, as does John, as does Daniel the prophet, when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple, and then there's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Remember that? Why? Because the trumpet and the bull judgments are now visible to the inhabitants of heaven, and they are so just breathtaking in terms of what they mean. It, there's silence. And it's what we've been studying in Revelation. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which were given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, 
telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image. People are going to have little images of the Antichrist in their home, on their dashboards, across the world. And it was given to him, the false prophet, to give breath to the image of the beast. That is going to be the telltale sign to the Jewish people. They are going to realize that this man, this Jewish man, cannot be their Messiah. Why? Because not only will he go into the temple and claim to be God, which in and of itself is not the abomination of desolation, but how he does it. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or, under, or, in, or in the water under the earth. God is reminding us that you cannot mix truth with idolatry. And that's precisely what this man is going to do. He's going to go into a rebuilt temple, and there's going to be an idolatrous act. There's going to be a dead statue, and it is going to speak. You say, you think it will be computer-generated? No. It will be miraculous. False, lying, signs, wonders, and miracles. The devil is going to empower that piece of stone or whatever it's made out of. And it's going to speak, and people are going to worship the devil. Now, here's another slide that might be helpful to us for a moment. Again, the abomination of desolation, I just want you to picture it in your mind. It's midpoint in the tribulation. That's when this event takes place. And then it's given 42 months, 1,260 days, three and a half years for the Antichrist to wreak havoc like they had never seen. Look at verse 9 here in 2 Thessalonians 2. Again, he says, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with power, signs, and false wonders. Three words, power, signs, wonders. Same three words used to describe the Lord Jesus and used to describe his 12 apostles. This man is going to come in the place of Christ, but with lying, false signs, wonders, and miracles. Look at verse 10. And with the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. For this reason, for what reason? Because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. Listen to me. Somebody here this morning, you are not a born-again believer, and you think if your dad, your mom, your brother is right, and they are suddenly removed, that you'll get it right with God, not according to this verse. For this reason, because you did not receive the love of the truth to be saved, Satan takes the seed that they may not believe and be saved. God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. You say, how can God delude a person? This seems unfair. It's a judgment of God. And God will allow it to happen because of someone's resistance. You say, well, I thought people will be saved during the tribulation period. Yes, they will. We saw the 144,000, and they produced the same groups of people, every tongue, tribe, people, and nation for salvation, just like the Antichrist will produce people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. But these are people letting Scripture interpret Scripture who have never heard the gospel in clarity and in power, and no one virtually in America can, can claim that today. And so verse 12 says, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Why, if you are here today and you are lost, why do you not want to come to Christ? I can tell you why. Jesus told me why. It's in the Gospel of John. Because they love the darkness rather than the light. 
You think that you've got some living to do, some women to sleep with, some drugs to take, some beer to drink, and you don't want to give it up because you love the darkness more than the light. Listen, you are playing Russian roulette with your soul because if you keep putting God off, the devil can come today and snatch the seed that you may not believe and be saved. And if the rapture happens, you will experience the deluding influence that you might believe what is false. It's much to think on. So this mark is a mark of uh, delusion that people will experience in this day. Secondly, some will take the mark because they are cowardly. Some will take the mark because they are convinced, and the reason they are convinced the Antichrist should be followed is because they did nothing with the truth. But some will take the mark because they are cowardly. Once again, in the parable of the sower, Jesus gives different reasons why people do not enter the kingdom of God. Listen to his second reason found in Luke 8, 13. On the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. You know, there's a group of Christians in America, they're called Arminians, who say you can lose your salvation. And they appeal to this verse and about eight or nine others. Listen, there's over 150 times in the New Testament where it affirms our eternal security that once we're saved, we're saved forever. And so what may be not clear to you needs to be interpreted in light of what is very clear to you. So ever, whenever you see the word believe, you need to look at it in its context because sometimes it can be referring to simply an intellectual acknowledgement of a truth without a heart willful decision over that truth. And that's what the Lord Jesus is describing here. However, I can promise you, whenever you see the word believe accompanied with the word in, on, or upon, depending on your translation, it's describing genuine, real belief. And so the demons believe, they're not converted, and they tremble. Jesus in John 8 speaks of those Jewish men who had believed, but he will turn around and say, you are of your father the devil, you're in the bondage of iniquity, to use Peter's description of Simon the sorcerer who had quote-unquote believed, but here and not here. And so Jesus is describing a category of people who, notice, they receive the word with joy. There's an emotional side to it. They, they get excited. Oh, this is great. I, I love to hear Pastor Brogy preach. I just, I just, it's so exciting. They believe for a while. But listen to the parallel text. Matthew sheds some light on the rocky soil. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They've got light, but they don't have life. There's an outward confession. There's not an inward possession. Why? Yet he has no firm root in himself. He's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. You know people like this, people who like to be liked. And so the young college student goes off to the university, and now the lifestyle of the Christian, he's in a minority. He's in a minority of minorities. Over 80% of the students at Clemson and USC believe that the homosexual lifestyle is an alternative lifestyle. So if you think differently, you are in a minority of minorities. You don't want to sleep around and get wasted on weekends. You're a minority of minority. 
And so some of these who aren't truly converted in there in every church, how I know Jesus tells me in the parable of the sower. And he tells me in the Sermon on the Mount that the wheat and the tear and in the kingdom parables, they'll be mixed together until the time of the harvest. Pseudo-Christians, cardboard Christians, fake Christians, not genuine born-again Christians. And so when pressure comes, They deny the Lord Jesus, and they walk away from their faith, and they come home to their parents, well, I don't believe the Bible's true anymore, and I'm not sure there's a place called heaven or hell, and I'm not sure what I believe anymore. Listen, that's going to happen on a worldwide level across the planet. It's called articularly the apostasy, the great falling away, and if you're not a part of the Antichrist world kingdom, then you will, in essence, be rejected. Notice third, some will take his mark because they are consumed. They are consumed. Once again, let's think about the parable of the sower. And the third reason Jesus gives why some will not enter the kingdom, as he describes the thorny soil in Luke 8, 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and they go on their way. They are choked with worries and riches, and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. We'll learn in just a moment that some people will not be able to buy or sell anything. In fact, no person will be able to buy or sell anything unless they have the mark of the beast. So if you are more consumed with the worries of this world and its pleasures and the house you live in and the car you drive, You are in for a huge shock in terms of what is going to happen in this coming day, and the beast will win you over. He will capture your heart. Now, remember what Jesus said. He spoke in Luke 17, again, a parallel account to the Olivet Discourse of of Matthew 24 and 25. And in Luke 17, he spoke about those people who would be eating and drinking with drunkards when he comes back. In other words, the world will be partying. They'll just be having a good old time. And then Jesus will come, and they will be forever lost. Now, second, beyond the beast's mark is a mark of renunciation. I want you to think for just a moment that the beast's mark is a mark of identification. It's a mark of identification. And several truths about this identification are brought out here in the text. First, I want you to think about the scope of the mark, the scope of the mark. Verse 16, and he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, all meaning every category of people. Now, if you remember when we studied Revelation chapter 7, and we'll see it again when we come to the 14th chapter, there's 144,000 Jews who are converted who evangelize the world. And they too are given a mark on their forehead such that they are unlike tribulation saints, other tribulation saints that are indestructible. No one can kill them. That's why they're going to be able to just keep preaching and preaching and preaching. Well, it's interesting, Satan being the great duplicator, he also has a mark that he puts on people's foreheads, and we call it the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast will be a mark of renunciation and a mark of identification. This symbol, which will be placed on the right hand or forehead, will voluntarily be taken by those wanting to be identified so that they can easily participate in the culture's various components be it trade or travel or anything else we currently take for granted. 
When we continue our message, The Mark of the Beast, tomorrow, Dr. Brogy will talk about the consequences of not having the mark in the post-tribulational world. To listen again to today's study, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a copy of The Mark of the Beast on CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV35. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Tune in again tomorrow as we conclude our look at The Mark of the Beast as we search the Scriptures.